Lord God of grace, your mercy endures forever. You are our God, and we thank you and exalt you. Give us faith that we might believe anew. You are the risen Lord, the Messiah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're entering into a season different than Lent. Lent was 40 days. The next 50 days are resurrection days. It's Easter tide. It's a time in which we celebrate and try and let in the reality of this risen Christ who was dead and now is alive. Who is so alive he mysteriously is able to enter in places where the disciples are hidden out in fear and he brings peace in place of that fear and then he sends them out as he was sent by the Father first breathing on them the Holy Spirit and then telling them receive this Holy Spirit if that wasn't enough to equip them and have them ready for the road. He goes on to say, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Quite great power. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In effect, I would say that in our forgiving we are opened up to the grace that has been given us through Christ's death and resurrection. But when we hold on to unforgiveness, it acts as a block to that very grace. And it limits our entering into the fullness of life. In the gospel, it ends that he's come that they may believe that through believing you may have life in his name. He wants a fullness of life. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been a Christ follower since I was a child. My path has been a wobbly one, to be sure, but nonetheless, I have been after this, what is it to be a follower of Christ? And sometimes... We have to look at what gets in the way as opposed to what is it that it is to be a follower of Christ. Now, I don't know whether it was just the generation I grew up in or the particular denomination I was raised in or sort of the mix of Catholic on one side of my family and Baptist on another that I got this idea that to be a Christ follower was to be perfect. And so as in a childlike way, I set about trying to be a good girl and to be perfect. And so a lot of my journey, I spent striving to be better. Work harder and you can do it. And yet, I think that there is a falsehood in that. In fact, I know there is because Christ is the only one that is perfect. 
We will never attain perfection. That is a false goal. And I love that it is that Christ comes in flesh. He enfleshes. God becomes incarnate in human form. That surely says God values our humanity. And so it is that Actually, perfectionism gets in the way of our being all we can be as Christ followers. But I, while I understood this intellectually and had thoughts about this, I couldn't fully unpack it. And that's where Brene Brown's book on the gifts of imperfection really was an eye-opener for me. And The subtext of this is to let go of who you think you're supposed to be, like a good girl or a good Christian, and to embrace who you are. And so we're going to go through a series of of looking at this and um, try and unpack what it means to live what she calls wholehearted living. And... She explores in this idea of wholehearted living how we might cultivate virtues of courage and compassion and connection in our daily lives as daily practices. And these, in fact, are the gifts of imperfection. And in practicing them over the past two years, I can say that it has radically changed the way I experience God's love and how I talk to myself. I know maybe you don't talk to yourself, but I'm guessing it's part of the human characteristic that we all have. And what I could say is that in looking at the gifts of imperfection, it has brought me a liberty from shame and the messages that bind, I think, probably most Christians in our world today of what will people think. If I do this, God prompts you to send a letter to the president of France with a piece of silk that's painted. And Well, what will people think? That seems a bit crazy. So what? Do it anyway. I've been able to be freed up to do it anyway because of practicing self-compassion and connection and courage. And so it is a a liberty that I think that Christ came to bring us. I found a peace that I want you to know about. It's a peace and a courage that helps to show up and follow God's lead. It's not easy, but it is a path to joy and gratitude. Brene explains in her book, This process in which she went through where she gathered thousands of stories from diverse men and women from across the country, ranging in age from 18 to 87. We're all represented in that. Well, Grant, not yet, but okay, almost. Um, And she saw patterns that she wanted to know more about. She studies patterns in people's lives She saw, of course, we all struggle with shame. It is a universal uh, emotion and fear. It's a fear of not being enough. 
And yes, many of us are afraid to let our true selves be seen and known. What will people think? Um, but in all this mound of data, what was fascinating were also these stories of men and women who were living amazing, inspiring lives. And she wanted to know more of what in the world were they doing. And so she looked at these stories and in looking at them more closely, she heard about the power of embracing imperfection oh, and vulnerability. Yeah. And about the inextricable connection between joy and gratitude and how things she took for granted, like rest and play, are as vital to our health as nutrition and exercise. She discovered themes as she analyzed the stories that fell out into sort of a list of do's and don'ts for living this wholehearted, all of your heart in kind of life. A life of meaning and purpose. A life of authenticity. And she discovered something that was life-altering for her, and I can say in reading this and going through it multiple times has been life-altering for me. There was the to-do column that was full of words like worthiness and rest and play and gratitude and creativity. And then there was the don't column with words like perfection, numbing, certainty, exhaustion, self-sufficiency, being cool, fitting in, judgment, and scarcity. And to her dismay, she discovered rather than living like the wholehearted people that she was actually working harder, following the rules, doing it until she got it right. Do you know that pattern? Always trying to know herself better, trying harder, raising her kids by the books. She lived by trying harder to get it perfect or right. And what seeing these two lists brought her to that she is continuing to learn is that how much we know or understand ourselves is critically important, of course, but there is something even more essential to living a wholehearted life, and that is, get this, loving ourselves. And we know that. We read it in the, in the 8 o'clock service more than we do in this service. But love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Love your neighbor as who? Do we ever talk about how in the world to love ourselves? I haven't heard it in the church much. So that's what we're going to be doing. Looking at how do we love ourselves as Christ would have us to love ourselves. We know that knowledge is important. But only if we're being kind and gentle with ourselves as we discover who we are. See, Christ made each and one of us unique, unique gifts and purposes for his world. He treasures each one of us. And this wholeheartedness is as much about embracing our tenderness and our vulnerability as it is in developing knowledge and Claiming our power. 
Those are not concepts I was raised on very much. I don't know about you. Some people would call what happened to poor Brene a midlife crisis, but she called it more of an unraveling or a time, maybe you've had such a time in which you feel this desperate pull to live the life that you want to live, not the one that you're supposed to live. Not the one that your family told you to live or outside circumstances. And so this unraveling can be a time in which God is actually challenging you to let go of who you think you're supposed to be and to embrace who, in fact, you are. All of who you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because it's in those parts of ourselves that we don't want anyone to know about that actually God will shine the greatest through. Because we have to rely on Him. But it takes us being vulnerable. There are countless other ways of having wake-up calls that don't just happen at midlife. The reality is is that whenever they happen, we are all too quick to hit the snooze button. And God is actually giving us opportunity to wake up to this one glorious life that we have. And that he will come in the midst of our fear and our lockdown like the disciples. And he will bring us peace forgiveness and life, full life, that he then calls us to share out in the world as he did. I've always judged poor Thomas kind of harshly, but in looking at it from this angle of imperfection, I have to wonder if Thomas isn't given us as an example, because we all want to see to believe. We want to trust Jesus is alive and grace is for real. But what I judged as Thomas's imperfection, I now see as courage that he was real with his fellow disciples and said, I want to see Jesus' wounds. I want to touch them. I want to know for myself that Jesus is alive. That was bold. That was courageous. And it was vulnerable of him. And saying, I'm not going to believe until I see. And in God's mercy, which is how all of us come to him, through grace and mercy, Jesus met him in his need. And Thomas, demanding to touch doesn't touch Jesus, but simply says, my Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. And he believes. Grace is how we all come to believe, not by trying harder or simply being, but really simply being real with God about who we are and where we are with an openness, with a vulnerability to let his love in and then to be loving and kind to ourselves.
in the process. To let go of trying harder, needing to please and perform and be perfect. To even say no rather than say sure and then being resentful or even pissed off later. To say yes to what sounds fun rather than to say I'll do it when I'm thinner or less busy or more perfect or more prepared. Brene found seeing the list of do's and don'ts wasn't enough for her to fully believe in it. She had to dig deep and make a very conscious choice to believe, to believe in herself, in the possibility of grace, allowing her to live a different kind of life. And it was in believing that helped her to see how owning our own story and loving ourselves through that process is actually the bravest thing that we can ever do. It's gathering the fullness of who we are and our brokenness and loving all of ourselves. Enables us to then love our neighbors who are also broken. You can't very well be judgmental of your neighbor when you give up judgment of yourself. So this journey of cultivating a wholehearted living is more like walking towards a star in the sky and then arriving at any kind of destination. And these gifts of courage and compassion and connection, they only really work as we work them daily and exercising a new way of living. Virtues, courage and compassion. Self-compassion. Imagine. Imagine a community that loves themselves first. How will they love the world differently? The disciples are our example. Know this. Christ came. He brought grace for you and I that we could live wholeheartedly. And there is the joy and the freedom from fear. I want more and more of that and I claim that for you as well. Amen.